we're bringing you another special episode of Demand Gen U this week. Back at our Demand event, we had a keynote panel on category creation with three big-time names in B2B marketing, people who have actually done this before. Category creation is something that we're working through right now at Metadata and something a ton of B2B marketers are tasked with doing right now. So when we were coming up with the agenda, I tried to shoot for the moon and figure out which three names could we get on this panel. Sydney Sloan, Nick Mehta, and Mike Volpe. So listen in on this episode to get a crash course on what they've seen work and not work when creating new software categories. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right, hello everybody. I'm Jason Wood, VP of Marketing here at Metadata. And for the next 30 minutes, I have the great honor to moderate this panel about a topic that's not only hot at Metadata, but seems to be talked about more now than maybe I've seen at any other point in my career, and that's category creation. So, but you know, being a marketing ops leader like myself for most of my career, maybe I just really never saw it that much. You know, I've never really been exposed to that side of marketing until more recently. Um, but now, like at Metadata, we're squarely in the middle of this today, you know, trying to create a category. And I've actually had the luxury to take a chapter from each of the folks that we have on the panel today and try and apply it to our own category creation efforts. And today, we could share all their experience with you. So before we jump into the content today, it's going to be just a normal kind of moderated panel style. Um, I'll be your moderator, and then uh, everybody else will kind of chime in. We'll start with some intros. So... Um, Sydney, you want to get us started with uh, an introduction and just maybe mention the company that you were at that you'll be referencing where you had a lot of category creation experience? Sure. So I uh, was formerly the CMO of Salesloft, um, which uh, led the category creation of the sales engagement category. I was also the CMO at Alfresco, so I might talk about that because we did category redesign there. Mm. Um, and currently I am an entrepreneur, no, an executive in residence, fancy title at Scale Ventures, helping um, our portfolios with uh, marketing advisory services. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Nick, Mr. Nick Mehta, do you want to intro yourself? Yeah, sure. Super excited to have this conversation. Thanks for having me here, Jason. And great to be here with Sydney and Mike as well. Um, so I'm Nick Maida. I'm the CEO of Gainsight. I've been running Gainsight about 10 years, if you can believe it. So I obviously started in high school uh, or maybe a little bit after that. Um, and uh, category creation, something near and dear to our heart for, for two reasons, really. Like we, we make technology that helps companies, you know, run customer success, scale, like their product experience, lots of different things like that that have been software categories. But also like we've had to help think about a new job category, which is the customer success profession, which Today, watching this panel in 2022 is like every company has it. But when we launched the company in 2013, we had to convince people not only they need our software, but they needed a whole new job. And we can talk more about that. Awesome. Yep. And That's what SaaS was. Yeah. And what SaaS was. Exactly. What software and what the internet was. What computers were. Exactly. Awesome. Nice. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Mr. Mike Volpe, you want to intro yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm Mike Volpe. Um, I've worked a ton in uh, marketing and then even sales and as CEO of my last company. But I think the one we'll talk most about today is HubSpot, where I was the first CMO and part of the early founding team and was there for eight years through all the growth and IPO. And uh, we created this category called inbound marketing, uh, which I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit more about later. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I think I might have heard of that somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, this exactly. is seriously a powerhouse. Yeah, I'm super. Yeah, I'm super excited to have all of you on this today. Um, 
you know, there's so many connections, even like with my own category creation efforts, you know, like um, Nick reason, you know, we've used the same agency that you guys use, you know, a little bit. And Nick, we take a lot of, page, you know, uh, pages from your playbook um, and Sydney, like just seeing the stuff at Salesloft uh, and and having you on the, the show before and then like trying to take some of those, some of that advice and applying it. Um, I've had all that luxury. And so um, it's it's exciting for everybody else to get some of that, too. So. Cool. Let's jump in. So Nick, this first question is for you because you like to reference your mom and some of your content. So like, how would you define category creation to your mom? Oh, I love this one. One thing I'll just say, hat tip, like category creation, you're constantly learning from others. And so at Gainsight, we learned so much from HubSpot and from Mike and all the efforts he had. And then learned from contemporaries like what Sidney and, and her former team at SalesLoft did. Um, so um, the way I describe this to my mom is, okay, um, I'm not a doctor, and I realize you haven't fully accepted that I, your son's not a doctor, but as an alternate career, he jumped into software, and instead of selling software to solve an existing problem with the better technology, we decided to go after something different, which is a new type of problem with a new type of technology. And so most businesses, I think, historically were better mousetrap for the same problem. And this is kind of like a new mousetrap for a new problem. Um, and you know, what I, what I would say in terms of how that fits into this, what we're going to talk about today is it requires you to not only then talk about your technology, but to talk much more about the why and like, what's the bigger problem you're trying to solve and help educate the buyer. Nice. Nice. Mike, would you add anything to that one? No, that's, I, I love the whole, um, you know, uh, it, better mousetrap kind of metaphor. I think there's a lot of companies that you can build a gigantic, super successful company that is just a better way of uh, a better take on an existing product, solving an existing problem. But I think either if it's um, showing people there's a new problem that they hadn't thought about before or an existing problem, like at HubSpot, the problem we were solving was lead generation and growing sales, which is an eight, you know, centuries old problem. Right. But it was a completely new approach to how to solve that problem. So I think it can be either a problem you don't realize you have and you expose that for people, or it can be, well, this problem you've had for decades, we have a totally new way of approaching it. That's a, a new way of thinking about it. Yeah. Nice. Sydney, would you... Uh... Would you, would you change anything, add anything? So you said to my mom, so I'm going to take that question literally. Yep. And so I'm going to relate it to shopping. So my mom and I had been shopping at Nordstrom's for ever since its inception. And the way that I would describe it to her is, you know, when you go into the store and they have all these different departments and they're organized for the kinds of styles of clothes that you, that you like that might be fitting to, to my mom or to my daughter and so they've organized everything into categories so we know where in the store to go shopping and where we want to spend our money. And, and maybe there's innovation that then creates, you know, you've always shopped in point of view, but hey, now there's Topshop because, you know, young, younger girls like to have this style of clothing. And so they, they create a new department within the store. But it helps organize all the designers, all the different styles. And, um, and so when you, when you go to spend, you know, where in the store to shop. And so the way that I correlate that to categories is it's really hard when you have 7,000 marketing technology companies to pick from to decide what you want. So we created categories, so you know, you know, I'm, I'm looking for something or it's time for me to invest in an account-based technology or in a data service provider or in a web platform. Um, and so that helps us make sense of as we're budgeting, as we're planning into our roadmap into the future, 
what kind of kind of technologies. And then once it's time, then we look at that category. Generally, you'll start with the leaders, which is always why you want to be the leader in the category to then uh, your, begin your assessment of what it is that you're going to buy. Yeah, I love that, Sydney. That's kind of how I think about it, too, is when I talk about it, it's kind of like, well, you know how there's 9,000 MarTech tools out there? Well, just imagine if we all were like trying to market, you know, or if you were a buyer and you had to like, okay, I have this one problem. How do you Let me go research 9,000 tools and see like which one of these tools can solve my problem. Like that would be just a nightmare. And so it's also, yeah, a way of like of us yeah. helping our buyer, like kind of what Nick said a little bit too, is like categorizing things into the problems that they solve. So like, okay, this is MarTech. Great. There's 9,000 tools. All right. What are the other thousands of categories in there so I can, so I know where to focus my research. And so, yeah. um, so that was, or awesome. if you're going into Great. Nordstrom's to buy a suit or a pair of khaki pants, you don't have to worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So Sydney, this question's for you. What signs are there that a company should maybe look into creating a category or even signs that they should not, or don't need to create a category? Yeah. I, you know, like you said at the top, it's a, on top of everybody's mind, it must be in the founder's playbook. As I advise a lot of companies when I talk to them, they're like, we want to create a category. And I always start with, well, why? Because it's really hard. It's really, really hard to create a category. And um, and so when, you know, when you're going into it, like, is it unique? Do you have a unique point of view? Are there multiple players that can play in this category with you? Because categories aren't shaped with a a number of one, um, or maybe it's even, even easier to go and disrupt an existing category. When I was at Alfresco, you know, we were in the enterprise content management category, and I kid you not, the woman from Gartner had been following the category for 27 years. 27. She was retiring at the end of the, the tenure. But, you know, in, it, it was a category that we chose to disrupt because the invention of cloud and, and the different ways that people were thinking about how they were managing their content inside of um, and inside of their company. So we recast it as content services, which was the concept that our company had come up with, which placed us well as they think about continuing to evolve the category. So I'd always start with why. Um, and, you know, it, 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 because it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I would echo down. that. Same like, yeah. I mean, I, you know, whenever it's, um, we did a talk on category creation years ago at Saster, my, my former CMO, Anthony and I, and we started out and our first tip on category creation was, do you really want to do it? Um, and it's, you know, frankly, many of the best businesses in the world are just better mousetraps. Like if I'm, I'm looking right now at the publicly traded SaaS companies, Salesforce in some ways created a category in terms of SaaS, but re, like in terms of the actual product CRM and Salesforce automation was there, but with Siebel and other companies before, right? ServiceNow, IT service management existed before ServiceNow. CrowdStrike, like... Endpoint security existed before CrowdStrike. Workday, PeopleSoft existed before Workday. And you can go down in the list pretty far before you get to category creator. So sorry to the to uh, be the buzzkill here, but um, category creation to me is what you want to do when it's necessary. And I, Sydney, I think the way you said it's so good. Like a lot of times it's not category creation, it's category redefinition or category consolidation or repositioning or whatever. But in some rare cases, like, like if you're selling into a new job or whatever, you have to create something that new. And, and that's kind of, I would say you do it out of necessity versus like the, you know, your strategic goal is to create a category. Yeah, a lot of the choice isn't left up to you. It's the, the timing of the world and the market and the customers needs to be right. And you can't just yeah. decide like, well, I prefer to use this strategy. So I'm going to, but it's like, it's, it's the landscape kind of dictates the strategy <laughs> to a certain degree. 
Yeah, one of the things that we saw that, and there were several signs for us, but like one of the things that we saw, and again, I've never done this. So I was like, I, w I didn't know what I was looking for, but it was, it was the competition. We were kind of like, okay, we're, we think we're competing with ABM platforms, but then, wow, like a third of our customers also have a traditional ABM platform and us. And then like, but we're also competing with the status quo or with agencies, like just people doing the work themselves and not, you know, using a platform to do it. And so for us, it was kind of like, oh, okay, that seems to be some signs that, you know, that we might want to head in that direction. But still, it wasn't like the, the silver bullet. You still wouldn't know yeah. for sure. So, so yeah, there's I like, think another yeah. a thing has changed too in the last maybe five years and um, with like the, the, the introduction of the new, new category, D2 Crowd, Trust Radius, and these, yeah. these companies that are, it's almost like, you know, the peers and, and communities are now defining when categories should be formed. And, and yes. you can influence them, but that's really the first indication now um, that, yeah, something ha is happening here. There's, you know, there's lots of energy. There's lots of people providing feedback. Maybe, maybe they're, they're splitting apart. Um, so I think that's a good early sign as well. Cindy, that's such a good point because I do think that the older world categories were so kind of static and like in some ways archaic because in this is no criticism of Gardner, Forest or whatever, but those businesses, the cycle time to revise things was half a decade, a decade. And so Gardner would be writing about something many years after it started being taking, taking off. And I'm blown away by sites like G2 where you know, something emerges and it's a category like a year later, you know, yeah. so that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. A lot of the um, younger marketers or just younger professionals wouldn't remember a time where we, we didn't have G2, right? And so, you know, when you didn't have G2, what did you have? You had the analysts, right? That was really all you had. And like you said, Nick, yeah. it just took them forever. Like they're working on one report at a time. You know what I mean? They've got like seven reports they're part of. And so it would move really, really slowly. They ha there and has to be enough companies there had to be enough companies willing to yes. pay the, them to hire analysts to follow the category. So it was a lagging yeah. Yeah. indicator, not an and enough yeah. Yeah, school enterprise, slow moving companies who are the typical client. So it's not even like their mm -hmm. clients are like the cutting edge ones. Right. So it's, it's, there's a lot of delay built into that system. And I think even, you know, folks kind of before that don't remember the old era, it's not only like the analysts were the only way to get your message out, but, you didn't have all these, you know, the company could be the publisher and the broadcaster, you know, you couldn't have your own podcast or your own TV station on YouTube or your own blog or like all these other things. Like to get your message out there as a company 20 years ago, 25 years, ago, it was really, really hard. Right. And all of that has changed. So it's not just the, the G2 crowd, just radius kind of stuff, but it's also that, you know, your podcast could have a bigger audience than Gartner's. Right. And so you could have a bigger megaphone than they do. Yeah. So why do you need them anymore? Yeah, I love that. So well said. Sounds like the making of inbound. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. So next question, Mike, why don't you get us started on this one? Are there phases to category creation? So like, is there a, a set number of steps that you go through? I don't think there's, I don't think it's super complicated. A lot of it is just, you know, doing it right and doing it a lot and very in a rep repetitive way. But I do think you need to start by kind of defining the category. So what it is and also what it isn't like i think most of these categories typically have an enemy or an old way of doing something and like the new way of doing something mm -hmm. so you need to kind of set up that tension of well here's the bad way or the old way here's the good way or the new way um and you need to define that and kind of get yourself and your company and folks on the same page then i think a lot of it is just starting to educate people and publish and talk about it 
Um, and then I think the next step after that is creating ways and encouraging other folks to start to join the movement and also educate other people. And I feel like at least at HubSpot, it was one thing for us to kind of, you know, blog a lot about it and have webinars and I'm out there talking and doing things and publishing stuff and whatever. It, it felt like it started to become a real movement and a real category when I would find someone else talking about it and saying like, oh, like you need to do inbound marketing and here's the way I think you should do it and things like that. And you're like, oh, like that's, you lost a little bit of control over what the message was and what the movement was, but all of a sudden there's other people, you know, that are uh, spreading it for you and sort of creating those spreaders, whether it could be start as maybe people that are partners and agencies that work with you and things like that, or, um, you know, maybe there's some other influencers that you kind of bring, you know, into the fold a little bit. Uh, but especially when it ended up being like people that we didn't even know were talking about it, then, you know, you're like starting to win and the category is really starting to come together. Yeah. And Mike, did you guys have, did you guys have a playbook that you were looking at, you know, back then or, you know, like, were you played, was play bigger even out? You know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. I mean, a lot of that stuff, a lot of that stuff has been written since then. I mean, I think that the classic things that are sort of in this area is like um, positioning by reason trout. Right. And like um, mm -hmm. a couple other sort of like classic, like marketing text, sort of like that. But no, but again, those are all written in a different era yeah. when it was, you know, it was kind of like a different way of thinking. And so, or different tools that were available, maybe the same way of thinking strategically. So I, in, you know, I, we didn't really have a necessarily a playbook we were following, um, which probably led us to making a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, but I think it, for the core of us, it, we was something we really believed in. Like all of us felt this like in our bones. This wasn't some BS thing that we created He's like, oh, let's build a company. Oh, let's make make a category. What's the category going to be? Like, I don't know. This was something that we all sort of independently came to the conclusion that it was happening. I mean, I know in the job I had before HubSpot, um, you know, running most of marketing at a mid-sized company, I, I was starting to do all these things just because they were working better and like doing SEO. And we started a corporate blog back in like 2003 and just all this stuff that was kind of like early for that type of thing. But it was all what was working and it was all kind of coming together. And so... The final piece of it was giving it a name to what was like sort of already starting to happen kind of on the fringes a little bit. Nice. Yeah, I'll, I'll double click, that. Mike, on your answer. Yeah, in um, and get more specific because I 100% agree. It's like, first you have your unique point of view. I, I am a Play Bigger fan. Your unique point of view and then you're designing kind of those lightning strikes that get you going. But, but once it starts to become like, yeah, I, I think this is going to happen. You know, there is a, a process that um, if your team, if you're early and you don't have an experienced AR person on staff, like, you know, kind of take some notes here. Because um, what you want to do is you want to, first of all, make sure that you are talking to the analysts. So it's time to pay up, right? Because they're the ones, that's, that's how you play. And, and so that you're, you're engaged with the right analysts, that you've had multiple conversations with them. I would say up to a year before the category is going to be formed. And, and push your strat days. So invest in the strategy days and push that as far as close to the, the boundary that they'll allow before they stop taking calls. Cause then you're the last person to talk to them. You get that feedback from them as to how they're thinking about, um, creating the category itself. And then once the survey comes out, you can give feedback. If it doesn't align with how you're thinking about the category, you can push back on the analyst and their researcher and challenge why they're asking questions or how they're rating different things and try and like, you know, skew it towards the story that, that you're trying to tell. So don't miss that step because it's really important because once that's locked in, then you have to answer 
to whoever's done the best job of helping that analyst define the way that they're going to evaluate the category. Um, and then, yeah. and then you know, once once it's out, make sure you're running a proper playbook. You know, they have their rules. I've seen people break those rules, you know, um, and, and so toe that line, you know, because um, uh, there's no recourse and they're, they're going to get mad at me for saying that. But, you know, I've been on the other side of that where other people have broken the rules and there's there's no recourse. So, you know, just just be, be you know, pay attention to, to strategic marketing. <laughs> Love that. That's that's awesome. The only thing I'd add in is I think what I found is the energy of the company evolves over time as you go through these different phases that Mike and Cindy have talked about. In my own head, the way I think about it is there's kind of a why phase, a what phase, a when phase, and a how phase. And 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 you're doing a little bit of all of them all the time, but the why phase is usually like explaining why this category needs to exist. Like what's the business case for it? So in our world, right? Okay, people are moving to SaaS and subscription. So a lot of the lifetime value of a customer comes after the initial sale. So you got to work on whatever happens after the sale, retention, expansions. We did a lot of stuff early on on like the economics of customer success and all that. Then then people start saying, okay, I, I, I get that it's important, but what is it, right? And so that's where you could see us writing all kinds of blog posts about customer success versus customer support, customer success versus account management, like all that, like what is the job? And then then you get into the what I call the when phase, which is how do I know when it's the time to do it, right? When am I ready for it? When does it make sense if I'm a startup, if I'm a bigger company? And then finally, I think you get to the how phase, which is the most fun, uh, where it's like, okay, I want to go do it. I'm convinced I need to do it and do it now. And I know at the high level, what are the best practices? How should I organize? How should I measure my team? Compensation. And that's kind of, you know, if you could look at where customer success is, it's squarely in the how now. And I'm sure, you know, inbound marketing and sales engagement all now in the how phase. But it's that evolution, at least for our company, that it's been interesting to see, you know, what the market needed at different phases of the journey. Yeah, yeah and maybe you, Nick, follow um, yeah. up on, I'm sorry, I was going to say Nick, follow up on, like, how do you stay the leader? Like, you were the creator, yeah. but how did you stay in the leadership position? Well, that's a great point, because, you know, I always tell our team, uh, the first search engine was not Google. <laughs> so I think maybe Cindy, Mike, and I, I won't speak for you guys, but I'm old enough to know about AltaVista, Excite, Lycos, and Yahoo, and the people watching, you can Google those and figure out <laughs> those were the search engines for Google. Uh, it's Most of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, you're like, who is this boomer talking right now? But, um, but like the reality is most category creators are not the category victor. That's just the brutal reality. Like, you know, the, the, the pioneers are the, don't always be, end up being the ones to make the settlement and to like really to win the space. And so I think there's a couple of things that matter. One is um, building enough of a moat in those early years, right? And so that moat can be some combination of technology. Like we built a pretty robust technology. And then also, obviously, I think, you know, HubSpot did this really well too. And we, we did a lot around making your content and your thought leadership a moat, right? Like your expertise and all that, right? And so how do you build a moat? And then, um, and then I would say the other thing is, how do you stay maniacally focused on your customers? Because they, as I, mean, I think both of you saw, they're the ones that carry you forward. It's a myth to say that the vendors are doing it. It's like the customers, like, like almost all our customers bring us into their next job or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And then finally, um, I, I, I believe, um, you know, you always got to respect all the competition that's out there. Not, not ever be afraid of them or obsessed or anything else. 
but just realize they're just as smart as you all are. Like, so don't ever get fall, you know, prey to the idea that you somehow are the leader and you'll always be the leader. You got to re-earn that every day. And I think on top yeah. of that, it's, it's, you talked about nice. the moat. And um, I think the moat can be, it can be technology, it can be all those things. It also can be like the community that you kind of build around the company. So it can be, you know, agencies or service yes. partners. It can be certifications. You know, as soon as people start hiring someone, you know, I want to hire an inbound marketing manager who has the HubSpot certification. Like that's another indication that you want. And that's also something that's, you know, can be part of that overall moat. And I think the final thing is don't, don't be like a one trick pony. Like you can't use that initial market creation and idea number one for your first product to carry you through whatever stage. You need to add a lot of products after that and drive more and more innovation Sometimes that can spread you beyond kind of that initial category creation, but that's okay because unless you're launching new product after new product after new product and adding to that base, you're just never going to be the, the big winner in the end game. I think that's a good point too, Mike, because we debated that at Sales Loft. Like, do we start creating a net new category? And there were other people that were jumping on a net new category because our category had been defined. Sales engagement was big enough. There were enough players like in and, and this new tangential Revenue, uh, 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 it was ROI, like revenue operations. I, I can't remember what it was. Um, I've been gone, yeah, only eight months. But um, you know, it's like, okay, so are, are we are we jumping to a new category? Do we stay focused on the category we have? Do we try and shift it? And so I think, you know, when you're looking at markets and what's happening in the markets and how the categories are defining those and intersecting, you have to make that choice. There was one point at Adobe that the product set that I was representing was in 14 different categories. It was a massive platform. And it was like, there was no way we were going to be number one in every single one. And so we had to say, which ones do we lead and land with? And those are the ones that we want to stay leaders in. And then, you know, we're okay being a challenger in some of the tangential categories because the investment that it would take to be a leader is too high. Or, you know, say when you get in really big companies, that starts to be a game you start to play. But, you know, when is the time to like, even branch out into a new category. And, and you may and you may shift from being a category creator to not being a category creator anymore. I mean, that's that's what's happened at HubSpot, right? The whole inbound marketing category launched the company, got it to hundreds of millions of ARR and mm-hmm. seeded the base to then be able to sell these other products. But, you know, there was HubSpot's CRM is not a category creation product, nor the products for sales reps, nor the customer service product, right? And those things were all huge, you know, huge yep. portions of revenue. And now it's just... They're a giant software company that has customers that love them, that you know serves mid mid market and SMB like really well, and has some probably some advantages in terms of go to market. Some of those things I think are still true, but it, it's not like there's a new category necessarily being created today, right? Um, and that's and that's okay. Like at a certain point, once you get to very big scale, the game kind of changes again. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Mike, because I think category creation is more of a market entry strategy than it is a long-term strategy. Eventually, if you want to go after a big market, most of the big markets exist already. Like you said, customer service, SFA. It's a really, really big SaaS companies. It's like, well, those are the those are the really, really big markets, right? Exactly. But it's a good way to get in the door, right? Which is why, why folks are probably watching. That's awesome. Cool. Sorry, Jason, okay. we just took over. No, this is great. This is exactly <laughs> how I'm like, I don't need to Oh, I see you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, this is doing this going all by itself. Uh, let me ask, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up with one final question. Just a quick, quick answer on this one. Try and give me a range of costs that you think, it, you know, like that you think you spent to really, you know, 
on the side, create the category. So like just a, a range is good. And I know this isn't, you know, don't get your calculators out, everybody watching, you know, but like, um, what do you think, you know, like if you had to put a number behind it, uh, what do you, what do you think that would be? Uh, Nick, why don't you start us? Yeah. I mean, it's funny cause I hate to do a cop-out answer, but the two like high level things. One is it's much more time than money. Like I put so much personal time into this. I'm sure Mike's and all your colleagues and um, speaking, thinking, writing, like I've written myself probably a thousand blog posts and, you know, two books. And, and so time is the biggest thing. Uh, the second thing is I think your whole company is doing it. So it's a little bit harder to measure. But if I had to say like the incremental cost, it's probably like a, on the order of a few million dollars, depending on the scale of your ambitions, of course. It's mm -hmm. not a hundred million. It's not some crazy amount, but it actually requires a lot of patience because you put that money in and it can take a take a while, you know, it can take a while for everything to come together. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll I'll tag onto that. So I think the the year that we were we knew the category was gonna get formed, it was one of our top three initiatives at Sales Loft. And so we're like, you know, be the leader. That was the mantra. And um, and so, you know, at that point you wanna have a dedicated AR person, you're gonna, you know, have those licenses with with those different vendors, which can range hundred to hundred and fifty per per vendor per category that you're in. Um, especially if you're doing the strat days, you know, with, if you're going to launch it at an event, that's probably where Nick's millions is coming in. Yeah, um, yep. and, 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 and so the insight here, and it goes back to the first question you asked, Jason, is like, is it the best to be the category creator? Because you're going to make the investment on the broader category that other people are going to draft <laughs> on. So that yep, million yep. dollars, guess what? The <laughs> other folks that come in after you aren't spending the same amount to participate and play in that category. So that's why it's, a strategic yeah. question that you have to ask yourself, um, you know, and and at what time do you 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 go into to that? Because the the beauty is, and and both Nick and Mike did this very well. When you're creating a category, you get to talk about something that's bigger than yourself. You're not out there mm -hmm. representing HubSpot or Gainsight. You're out there representing the category, and so you can talk about things that you don't yet do. Um, even, and, and as you're setting that vision and you're drawing that larger audience into this movement that they can become a part of for which, you know, you're one of the best offerings that's out there. But, um, so timing is everything. I mean, it's a really strategic question to ask yourself and, and your teams, like, because it is a huge, huge investment. It was a third plus of our effort that year in, 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 in going after the category yeah, in yeah. through multiple um, the, the thing I would add Mike, to all yeah, of that is that it should be 100% of your time and effort and dollars. So if you really want to create yeah. the category, the founder does not have a conversation with anyone without mentioning the category and why it's important and setting it up. Like, you don't, it, the, it's not this like side thing where you have like, oh, we have our investor deck that's like the secret plan of the company. And then, yeah, we talk to other people about why they, this is this thing on the side. It's like, no, no, it's like they are the same. Our sales calls used to start with like, oh, I'm so happy to talk to you today. What have you heard about inbound marketing? Um, or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And that's on the sales yeah. side. Customer success, same thing. Okay, we're going to set up your inbound marketing plan. Here are the steps, right? Um, all of our content, like everything we mm -hmm. talked about, it was it was so, when you say like how much money was for, it was like all of the money was for demand generation and content creation like at the same time. And I think there was not much that we did that was only category creation. It was like, they were both at the same time. It's like, we're gonna have a webinar and we're gonna generate leads and we're gonna call those people and try to sell them something. But the webinar is about inbound marketing 
or some part of inbound marketing or something like that. So yeah. it's, I think it works best when it like, it, there, there's no separation. Like they are one and the same thing. I love that. Yeah. If I summarized it from my perspective, the cost is that you just can't just be transactional. Like, like what you're talking about, Mike, you're doing webinars to educate the world on something new and you know, it's going to eventually come back to you. But you're, the cost is you're not being as transactional as a traditional vendor. Like it's not like click here and right. you're now. probably adding like a little bit. You're probably adding a little bit, like an extra step or something in the funnel. Is maybe what yeah. And actually, yeah. we had we had data to support that. Like at HubSpot in the early years, we had built up a lot of following, and you know our conversion rates weren't as good as you kind of went through the funnel. And so we did some surveys of people yeah. on the site and said, like, hey, quick thing, like, what does HubSpot do? And the popular answer <laughs> was either marketing marketing content site. Or like some sort of marketing agency, like software company was like third or fourth on the list, right? Yeah. And then at that point, at that point, we had like millions of followers, millions of blog visits. So we said, okay, we can now shift a little bit more and talk a little bit more about our products and have kind of side things and you know article yeah. about inbound marketing. You have to think on the side about like, oh, we have software that helps you do this. And here's why it's cool. Like go over here, that kind of thing. And we started to do that. And then we saw those numbers change within like two quarters. So I do think building the big audience first is right. But you're right, Nick. We definitely had. You, you can see that you build this much, much bigger audience and people love you, but they don't know like what you do necessarily as much as you're only your product. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, I hate to wrap this up y'all, but um, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. I could talk to you guys about this all day long and keep learning stuff, but um, I'm sure this was very valuable for everybody else. Sydney, Nick, Mike, thanks again for doing this with us uh, and have a great day, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.